is Living Catholic with Father Don Wolf. Living Catholic is a fresh look at issues confronting each of us today. This show deals with living out the Catholic faith, what that means for Catholics, as well as the impact on the rest of society. You certainly don't have to be Catholic to enjoy this show. And now, your host, Father Don Wolf. Welcome, Oklahoma, to Living Catholic. I'm Father Don Wolf, pastor of Sacred Heart Parish and the Shrine of Blessed Stanley Rother in Oklahoma City. Just the other day, I was driving down on Southwest 104th Street in Western next to the large cemetery there. The area is circumscribed by a chain-link fence running around the property, and on the fence were hung signs inviting people to celebrate El Día de los Muertos, the Day of the Dead, on November the 2nd. Accompanying the invitation were the pictures of several skeletons with mariachi sombreros on them. Along with the announcement of the celebration was the assurance that everyone was invited. It was startling, to say the least. I guess we can say now that we've entered a new time in the history of our society here in Oklahoma. We've all been invited to a celebration of the Day of the Dead. For those who might not be aware, this celebration is a major element of the Hispanic cultural heritage of those who have most recently become a part of the social life of South Oklahoma City. The Mexican presence here in Oklahoma City has grown over the years and now makes up a substantial percentage of those who live here on the South Side, especially those who have recently moved. This presence is not just from the last few years, but it has grown at an exponential rate over the last decades. The truth of the matter is that the Hispanic presence in South Oklahoma City is well recognized and much celebrated. If you drive down Southwest 29th Street going east from Portland to I-35, this presence will become obvious. The signs on the businesses as well as the types of restaurants and grocery stores will indicate that the people who live there are Spanish-speaking. And this presence is not limited to just this area. The Mexican presence in Oklahoma City has become impressive. Just a year ago, Sacred Heart Parish sponsored a deacon who came to give a series of talks throughout the month of August. He's a native of Spain, but he now lives on the island of Santo Domingo. He's well known for his missionary ministry, and he was here to speak in a variety of parishes and to a number of the different groups in town. He is famous, but he doesn't speak English, only Spanish. He fitted well into the rectory at Sacred Heart, where everyone who lives with us speaks Spanish. But one Sunday morning after the English Mass, we, the clergy, were invited to go with a number of the parishioners to one of the local diners for breakfast. This deacon, he was available, and I asked him if he'd like to go with me, and he said yes. Well, he said, see, and we, we drove over to meet our parishioners. Going over, I was a little nervous for him since he could hardly speak one word of English. I was anxious he might not enjoy breakfast very much since the language of the table would exclude him. But I needed not worry. Walking into a diner on Southwestern and Grand Boulevard practically guarantees you'll be well attended in Spanish. He sat down, having been greeted by the waitress in Spanish. Several of the people at the table who had responded to the invitation to have breakfast were third-generation Mexican, and they spoke to him easily. And two of the people at the table, who worked for the Department of Transportation, had learned enough Spanish on their jobs to converse with him easily. He did just fine, not speaking one word of the common lingo, English. The truth of the matter is prosaic. Oklahoma City at this time, especially on its south side, functions as a part of the Spanish-speaking world. While this isn't especially new, I grew up at Immaculate Conception Parish on Southwest 29th Street, and when I began grade school there in 1961, more than half of my classmates were Mexican. The proportions have continued to grow. As of now, 
every parish in South Oklahoma City is Spanish language oriented. It is, after all, what the people who come to Mass speak. We have to become responsive to the language and culture of those who have recently arrived. And this, of course, is not unprecedented by any means. When I was a child visiting my grandparents and my relatives in Okarchi, there was still a sign in town in German advertising legal services. And when I was a child growing up on a farm in South Oklahoma City, many of the old farmers we rented land from or sold our hay and produce to were still Czech speaking. And my parents' most common entertainment was to go to the dances held at the Czech Hall in Yukon. It's been the norm to conform our common lives according to the needs and the expectations and languages of those who fill them. This has been the case for all of us, wherever we're from. The Day of the Dead, El Día de los Muertos, is one aspect of the Mexican culture we've now begun to incorporate into the common cultural life we share together. It has begun to make its way into how we see the world in common as one people, as it makes its leap from the Mexican culture into the Anglo culture. This has now become a part of the common experience we have as a people. We might not focus on it very much, but American life is full of the cultural celebrations of other peoples and different languages. They have become so much a part of the life we know that we hardly even think about them as being strange or different any longer. Several years ago, when I was living and working in Chicago with the National Federation of Priests Councils, the accountant who helped, up with, helped us with some of our projects had the last name of Linnell. It's not a very common name, and I asked him where his family was from. I asked, is it a French name? He laughed and said, no, my grandfather came from Sweden. So I said the obvious, that doesn't sound like a Swedish name. And he said, when my grandfather came, he was afraid that his last name wasn't American enough. So arriving in, Sh in Chicago, he thought he ought to change it. There was a company that produced cookies in the neighborhood, the Linnell Cookie Company. So he simply took that last name as his own. We became the Linnell family. And so I asked, so what was your grandfather's Swedish last name? And he said, my grandfather's last name was Anderson. We get used to what becomes common, and we hardly even notice where it comes from or what its origins might be. Think of that, think of that, especially in the case of food. We now think of pizza and gyros as something completely typical and normal. Certainly, it's the case when we talk about tacos and tamales. Everybody is at ease with the range and the options of these dishes. We hardly think about them twice. It would also be the case with, what, Kung Pao chicken or shrimp egg rolls. They're a part of the cuisine we're familiar with. We hardly bat an eye when we're presented with those choices. But anyone as old as I would note, they were not at all part of the common world we share together when I was young. Even pizza was exotic then. I tasted it exactly once before I went to college. What's come to us from other places has now become woven into the lives and the experiences of our common lives together until we can hardly remember what life was like beforehand. We might think of all this as analogous to the words in our language. English has been especially voracious in adapting and using words from other languages or simply inventing new ones as the situations demand. We're as hungry to sample new options in communications as we are in cuisine. Words as foreign and exotic as khaki, mig, and gringo fill our imaginations as easily as enchiladas or falafel fill our menus. And no one thinks of using them as uh, using them as a loss or a disappointment. Usually, we regard them only as gain. 
It's not always the case everywhere, either in language or in food. There was an article about 25 years ago in Time magazine contrasting the opinion of the French National Academy about the barbaric foreign words entering the French language with the way we in the U.S. with no official academy regard the changes in our language. For the academicians, it was an abomination. Their people had started to say les fax when they described using the fax machine. The word monitors there thought everyone should belay such baldly awful usage and go for a much more appropriate le télécopier. As you might guess, nobody paid much attention. As the article pointed out, a hundred new words enter English every year, and most everyone thinks of them as enrichment. Fifteen new words enter the French language every year, and they're thought of as corruption. It depends on how changes are embraced or not. Now, here in Oklahoma City, we have a new encounter with an old Mexican feast, the Day of, De- the, Day of the Dead. And oddly enough, this Day of the Dead was advertised to be celebrated by a funeral home. The cultural cross-pollination is happening more and more. I hope, ultimately, it becomes a real enrichment. The Day of the Dead is none other than All Souls Day. It's celebrated every year on November the 2nd as a notable Catholic Day of Remembrance. We celebrate All Saints Day on November the 1st as a holy day, but we also celebrate the 2nd of November as a day during which everyone is invited to pray and celebrate. It's the day we remember those who have died, especially those in our families. We pray for the dead and we remember our responsibilities to them and our connection with them. It's a profoundly Catholic, profoundly religious expression of our faith in the goodness of God and the promise of salvation. And it has been a part of our calendar of celebration for a thousand years. But it hasn't always been a a celebratory moment in the profoundly Protestant religious culture here in Oklahoma. Such a day of remembrance has not been a focus for those who view the questions of life and death differently than Catholics. These days of celebration have never been a part of the cultural expressions, especially the religious expressions we are familiar with. Theological opinions and foundational beliefs, they make a difference in the way we live and in what we experience. This is certainly the case when it comes to the beginnings of November. In the Catholic view of the world, we live lives bound up with one another as a community of believers. Our proclamation of God's goodness and God's presence in the world is familial. Each of us has the sum of our own experiences, and each person is challenged to live the life of faith and morality as an individual, making his own decisions and living with his own consequences. Just as in a family, no one is excused from having to think and act on his own or from what those actions might produce. But as in a family, everyone in the community of faith is woven into everyone else's life. No one is simply on his own isolated, separated, separated, and alone. Everybody belongs in a family. In the life of the church, we're all in the world together. We're bound to one another in the faith we share and in the contours of our lives. We have our own challenges, our own gifts and talents, but the truth of our lives remains common for all of us. We strive to do good. We're tempted and challenged by evil. We're all sinners seeking salvation, and we're all intimidated by the truth of our mortality and the shortness of life. No one gets to escape the constraints of living, and no one escapes what we all share, that is, the brevity of our time on this mortal coil. 
Because we live together and together face the truth of dying, our brotherhood extends past the boundaries of the life we share here. We also share the brotherhood of the hereafter. What binds us in life also binds us in death. The consequences of this is our awareness of the lives of the saints. Even though they're gone from us in death, these people whom we know to have lived extraordinary lives are still with us. They are the companions on our journey through the wastelands of our world. We turn to them for help and depend on their prayers for us. They are the great cloud of witnesses mentioned in the letter to the Hebrews, those who surround the heavenly throne as our champions and our cheerleaders. We are not left abandoned. Like members of a family who have brothers and sisters and cousins to depend on, those who have gone before us are with us to help us in life. This is what our shrine to blessed Stanley Rother is, the reminder that his courage and bravery are connected to us. He's not only a saintly example, he is one of us. We can look at what he did and draw courage from who he became. Not only that, we can turn to him for his intercession, that he might support us by his prayers. Just as we would ask one of our brothers to pray for us in a difficult time, so we can turn to him for his support in our difficult times. Over the years, many people have made jokes about patron saints and the saints we have for particular situations. You know, St. Francis of Assisi is the patron saint of of, uh, pet owners and missionaries. St. Thomas is the patron of scholars. And St. Genesius is the patron saint of actors. It's easy to make fun of this as if we were memorizing Pokemon characters. But it makes perfect sense. If you were a pregnant mother concerned about carrying your child and anxious about childbirth, You'd seek out the help of someone who'd given birth, or maybe especially someone who had carried a difficult pregnancy. In the same way, pregnant mothers can turn to St. Marina of Antioch for her prayers, she who knows the intricacies of worrying childbearing. The saints, in this manner, are our companions. And those who have died in the normal course of their lives, they also remain our brothers and sisters, even if we don't name them saints. They've concluded their journey on earth and continue their journey of forgiveness and grace. They've not disappeared from the eyes of God. They've gone on, as we do. And because to embrace the endless love of God and the ceaseless forgiveness God offers isn't easy, we pray for them in their embrace of all God has for them. All of us face the the difficulties of life and the mystery of death. We remain one with those who have constituted our lives, and we go on together including those in our lives who have died. Many of these, many of those whose beliefs were, sh- were shaped by the Reformation, were uncomfortable with such a vision. Those people wanted to emphasize the personal aspect of responding to God's offer of salvation and goodness. In their estimation, such common talk about the family of faith diminished the role of personal choice in the immediacy of personal salvation. They were afraid too many people might grow slack if all of salvation was thought about as if it were a family support a person could be led to believe he needed to be to do, a person could be led to believe he need to do nothing more than be a part of the right family have that and salvation would be his the converse would be that without the right support just like being born into a poor or a violent family there might be no hope so those reformers wanted to divorce the sense of community from the sense of salvation. They wanted everyone to know God's offer was theirs no matter what. Thus, up to today, 
Many in our religious environment are careful not to focus on the example of the saints, nor do they pray for the souls of those who have gone before. The result of the diminishment of this communal frame of reference is to compress the temporal frame of reference as well. The community of the church, for them, simply becomes those who happen to be walking around and still breathing. The church of those who go before us is as nothing. With this in mind, it's easy to feel alone and isolated. The dead become no more than memories, and their presence is marked with nothing but the brief information on tombstones. Rather than a companion in living or a fellow supplicant to God's mercy, the dead are are reduced to a name, a date of birth, and the date of death. It's a smaller, emptier world in that manner. Because if we did hold on to the truth of the family of faith, then our lives are filled with those who have gone before us. After all, they are still with us, just on a different stage of their journey. Death separates us from them with regard to location, but not with regard to relationship. They continue to be one with us. Not only that, they help us to face death with equanimity. After all, if they go before us, death is not simply the great unknown. It is the place occupied by those we have known best. It's not a joke to say that as we grow older, we have more friends on the other side of life than on this side. It makes for some comfort as we face the prospect of dying which is one aspect this Day of the Dead celebrates. It comes from the intense sense of communal life the Mexican culture brings to us. In Mexico, this is the time when families visit cemeteries and decorate graves. It isn't uncommon even in the U.S., but in Mexico, it becomes something much more familiar, something more intense and personal. Oddly, if you've seen the beginning of the James Bond movie, Spectre, you have some sense of the scale of celebrations in Mexico. The opening scene of the movie captures the feeling and the power of El Día de los Muertos, with people dressed as skeletons dancing around. Of course, the real day in Mexico is never as lavish as in the movie and not not quite so well organized, but it is spectacular. And all of this is so that our connection to the dead is acknowledged and celebrated. They've not gotten away from us, but they come along with us. It's not a morbid or ghastly presence, but one of common experience. Those who have died, they went through life trying to figure out what we do and try to figure out what to do and how to make sense of things. Just like us, we puzzle our ways through tough choices and difficult decisions just as they did. Our lives are like theirs were. Now they have died and we also will die. The end of our journeying will be like theirs. The faith that sustained them even if it was incomplete or unfulfilled, will sustain us. Father Joe Kolb used to have a skull on the desk in his office. He had received it as an inheritance from an older priest here in the diocese, and at the base of the skull was a sign that read, As you are, I was. As I am, you will be. It, too, was a reminder of the ultimate questions and the final decisions about life. It's the connection we have to the community of those who have gone before us. They were alive and vital and active just as we are right now, and they are now in the realm of the dead, as we will be. They are us. We will be them. This sense of connection is something we've mostly stayed away from in our culture. The awfulness of dealing with the dead is what we deed out to professionals. We mostly keep it away from us, and we like it that way. 
But this new aspect of culture now creeping its way into our everyday, it provides us something different. These people who are newly arrived among us bring with them this sense of connection and this expression of faith. Even the funeral homes who fulfill our desire to keep death at a distance are now involved in celebrating this day when we remember the dead. Perhaps we will begin to think differently about who we are and about what our lives are for. In addition, we can't help but notice that the skulls, as they're portrayed, are grinning at us. Of course, it's the simple fact of physiology and a trick of our conditioning. Skulls simply are this way. Part of their ghastliness is the reminder of death's power and its frozen smile at the pretenses of the living. No matter our passion to make the best of life, death awaits us. No matter what we have achieved, pitiless death will undo what we've worked for. But there's more to the reality of the family of faith than the inexorable future beyond the grave. As people of faith, we can look to the goodness of God to free us into immortality. What limits our lives and holds us bound here is freed in the life to come, that we might smile at what has held us in the past. Those who are away from us, they know what we will come to find, that life isn't all we think it is. Imagine, at the moment of death, we will have the chance to look at the sum of our lives. At that moment, we'll look at what we have done and what has filled our days. Perhaps as we do, We'll feel the same way we feel when we look at the pictures in our high school annual. What seemed so important or so charming or so soulful at the time, we will see for what it was. And what we celebrated as free and decisive, we'll see was no more than style and conformity. We'll then, as we look at everything, have the freedom to see things as they are. And then, knowing we have joined those who have gone before us, we will laugh and know, like all of them, Life has always been what we could only have known by faith and lived on trust. In this, we will be received by God into the community of those who go before us, who, in the goodness of forgiveness and the power of Christ, who now walk freely in the kingdom to come. That's what we celebrate on El Día de los Muertos, the Day of the Dead. Back in just a moment. segment, Faith in Verse, with a poem today called, The Church We Want. The steeples climb to heaven on the rooftop, pointing toward the clouds, and our minds follow upward to airy halls beyond confusion and doubt. Just as we want an arrow, a sign, escaping the weight of concrete and stone, so we can hope amid the weighty things to overcome our lives alone. And our fathers built, poured foundations, laid sure courses to generous heights, So now our days are filled with these reminders and heaven become as sure as night. Till now, when anyone can see, solid stone fails and cracks vein the concrete, our sight returns from heaven's promise to the depth of earth immediate. In this day, we wonder if there is a place for us, eyeing the frame of time, or if so, could we trust our eyes to follow such a faulty sign? 
but where steeples to succumb to gravity and chapels turn to dust, the gift of heaven is still given, and the graces of God are sure and just. That is, the church we want. Day of the Dead, as well as All Saints Day, are both special days in the life of each parish. So be sure and uh, consult your parish about the special masses that they have on those days, a very important part of the life of the church. I hope that you can also join us in the weeks to come. Living Catholic is a production of Oklahoma Catholic Radio. To learn more, visit okcr.org.